Thank you very much. Uh, as Rachel said, my name is Noah Graves, um, and for a little bit about me, in case you guys don't know me well, you might have, you know, seen me pop up here and there, you know, doing announcements, communion. Um, a little bit about me is that, um, as Rachel said, you know, I've been the intern here past couple summers. Um, I actually just joined on staff as the executive assistant to the pastoral leadership team. Um, I also, you know, I grew up at the church. I went here my whole life, grew up here. Uh, my brother Johnny's somewhere around here. He's the director of youth here. Um, and I've just been so thankful for just all the different opportunities you guys have given me, um, and also so thankful to uh, start this new position um, to serve you guys in that way. Um, and so I also am a Liberty student. I'm currently in my uh, post-grad degree doing a seminary. Um, I'm doing that through Liberty Online. Uh, I've also just been so thankful for that and really been enjoying that degree. Um, and so if you've been with us this summer, you know that we've been going through our summer sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> and each week we've been looking at a different one of the fruit. And we've been looking at it closely and learning from God what it means to embody these different fruit of the Spirit. And so this week, the fruit that we're going to be taking a look at is patience. And as we look at the fruit of patience, we're going to answer three questions today. We're going to answer what is patience, what does patience look like, and how do we get patience but before we do that, I'd like to ask you all to please join me in a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, uh, we just come before you in prayer now. We just ask for your help today. We just pray that your spirit may come and speak uh, through this message and may minister to all the people here today. God, we just ask that you come and do what only you can do, God. We just call on your name for your help and ask that you please glorify yourself today. We ask on your name. Amen. All right. So the first question that we're going to be answering is, what is patience? And so when some of you hear that question, you're probably thinking, you know, come on, I mean, we're not at the kids' church right now. Why do we have to talk about what patience is? I know exactly what that is. But it's when we actually look closely at the fruit of patience in the Galatians uh, 5 context that we learn something interesting. We learn what the actual meaning is behind this fruit. We also get to see how beautiful that this fruit actually is. We also get to see how beautiful the character of our God is and how glorious that he is. And so this original Greek word for patience comes from the original Greek word macrothumia, macrothumia. And so this is actually interesting because it's one of the only uh, fruit in the, the fruit of the spirit that actually isn't translated the same word in all the major English translations. The NIV translates it forbearance, and the King James Version actually translates it long-suffering. So we're going to get a little bit of help from John MacArthur here as we look at the original Greek. So MacArthur says this, macrothumia, patience has to do with tolerance and long-suffering that endure injuries inflicted by others, the calm willingness to accept situations that are irritating or painful. God himself is slow to anger. And so as you look at this definition, we get an understanding that this patience is not talking about waiting. And so it's not talking about, you know, waiting for the new iPhone or waiting for the bus. And there's actually a separate Greek word for that, and that's called hupomone. Rather, this word macrothumia is what MacArthur says has to do with being tolerant and long-suffering. It's kind of what we would think of when someone would say, you're really testing my patience. Um, it's, no, it's being patient with other people, like we might think a parent is being patient with their child. And so at the very end of that quote there, we see that MacArthur describes uh, God's patience as being slow to anger. And so slow to anger, what does that mean? That, that's something that God is, that's how God is described a lot in the Old Testament. And so this slow to anger is kind of a funny phrase because it's not something that we really use a whole lot today. You know, people don't often come home from work saying, hey, you know, the new boss is great. Uh, you know, he's a big Celtics fan. You know, he's given us all raises. He's also very slow to anger. You know, like no one ever says that. No one says slow to anger anymore. So that raises the question, what does it mean to be slow to anger? What does it mean to be slow to anger? 
And so as Pastor Bob's been out, I had to make sure that I kept up the uh, weekly Tim Keller quota. Uh, so we're going to get a little bit of help from Tim Keller here on what it means to be slow to anger. So Keller says this, not no anger, not blowing anger, but slow anger is the ideal. It is a sin to never get angry. It's a sin to blow up with your anger. According to the Bible, the ideal is slow anger. Slow anger. And so it helps if we think of this as a spectrum. We're on the one end of the spectrum, we have no anger. And no anger is being indifferent or apathetic or just not really caring at all. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have blow anger, which is rage, getting a quick temper, a quick fuse, and just blowing up with anger on someone. And both of these are actually impatience. And so as we try to figure out why they're impatient, we're going to look at Exodus 34.6. Exodus 34.6. And so in this passage, God is speaking to Moses. God is telling Moses who he is. He's describing his character, and we get to have a, a word about who God is. And it's in this passage that we see how beautiful and amazing that our God is. And this is what Exodus 34.6 says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so first we may ask, what's the problem with blow anger? You know, why, why can't I just blow up with rage? Why can't I just blow up on someone? What's wrong with that? Well, if we look at our passage here, we see that God's patience is connected to something else. If we look at the beginning of the verse here, it says this, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. And so God's patience is connected to his grace. His patience is connected to his mercy. And so if you are to be patient with someone, that means you are being gracious and you are being merciful. And so that is the problem with blow anger. Blow anger shows no grace, no mercy. When someone wrongs someone with blow anger, they just go right for immediate justice and vengeance, looking to just annihilate that person. They completely fail the other person. They fail to see the person behind the problem. They fail to see the sinner behind the sin. They just see that problem, look to just annihilate it and blow up with their rage. Ultimately, they fail the other person by not being patient with them and not giving them time to learn, to change, and to grow. And so that is the problem with blow anger. And so that leads us to, to no anger. No anger. And so no anger, as we said before, has to do with being indifferent or apathetic and just not really caring at all. And so we may ask, you know, what's the problem with this? You know, why, why can't I do no anger? Why is that a problem? So once again, we're going to look at Exodus 34, 6 one more time. So at the very end there, it says this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so once again, we see God's patience is connected to something. God being patient is connected to his steadfast love. It's connected to his faithfulness. And that's the problem with no anger. No anger shows no love to the other person. No anger shows no faithfulness to the other person. When the other person wrongs someone with no anger, they just say, you know what, I give up. I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to endure those hard circumstances. I'm not going to be forbearing and go through the long suffering. Rather, I'm just going to walk away on them, show no faithfulness, no love. I'm not going to stick around and be patient and try and help that person behind the problem. That's it. I'm done. Ultimately, they fail to be patient with the other person and to give them time to learn, to change, and to grow. So that is the problem with no anger. So that leads us to our last question for this. 
What does it mean to be slow to anger? What does it mean to be patient? Patience takes anger and does not blow up with it, and it does not give up on the other person by walking away from them and abandoning them to their problems. Rather, patience takes anger and is slow with it and looks to patiently endure the hurt caused from the other person, and patience looks to gently, lovingly, and graciously fix the problem behind the person, help the sinner behind the sin, learn, change, and grow, all as an act of love for that person. And so that's what it means to be slow to anger. That's what it means to be patient. And so after we ask that question, I'm sure we're all kind of thinking the same thing. Okay, if this is what it means to be patient, what does it look like? Where's an example? Where can we actually see this in practice? And so that takes us to our second question of, what does patience look like? And so we're going to go to Calvary. We're going to go to the cross. We're going to go to Jesus' final moments before he dies, and we're going to see the perfect, ultimate example of patience. We're going to see the patience of God the Son. We're going to see how Jesus was perfectly patient at the cross. We're going to see the patience of God the Father. We're going to see how God the Father displayed perfect patience at the cross. And then we're also going to see how beautiful this fruit is and how beautiful that our God is. But before we look at our text today, we have to remind ourselves of the circumstances that lead up to the cross. Because if we all think of times in which we've given into impatience, there are typically some events or circumstances that led up to that that cause us to be patient. You know, when you come home from a long day at work and it was just awful and brutal and your boss was just landing on you, typically that will kind of cause you to be a little bit more impatient. And so let's see what was leading up to the circumstances on the cross and see what Jesus went to. Let's remind ourselves of what happened. So first of all, his disciples. One of his disciples who was just so committed to him and just said how much he loved him and was dedicated to him, just completely denied him. He denied him three times in one day. He just denied him, just pretended as though he didn't even know him. Another one of his disciples just completely betrayed him. He betrayed him and turned him in and got him arrested all for silver and showed no love and no faithfulness to Jesus. And the rest of his disciples, where are they when all this is happening? Nowhere. They are not coming to help him. They are not there to support him. They just completely abandon him. And then Jesus is then put on an unjust trial. He's condemned as a criminal. Remember, Jesus is innocent, perfect, holy. He did nothing wrong, yet he is being condemned as a criminal. And then he's being beaten, tortured, whipped, lashed. And then he's given a a crown of thorns on his head. And this is Jesus. This is what he's being put through. And then lastly, he's given his own cross in which he is about to be killed on, and he's forced to carry that cross to the place that he's going to be killed. So these are the circumstances leading up to the cross. Wouldn't we all be pretty primed for impatient and ready to just blow up with rage? Let's see what happened. Let's see what happened. And so our text comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 38. It reads like this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, 
If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Wow. Wow. So what's going on here? Verse 34. First we see this. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Remember, this is Jesus Christ, God's only son. He is royalty. He is due honor, glory, praise, and honor. Yet he is being hung up half naked on a cross in between two wicked criminals as though he himself is a guilty criminal. Wow. Verse 35, it continues, and it says, And the people stood by watching. Watching. These people are seeing all of this happen. They're seeing a perfectly innocent man being put on an unjust trial, being tortured and being hung up on a cross. Yet what do they do? They watch. They watch and they do nothing. They don't speak up and they don't try and help or stop it. They just stand by and watch. Verse 35. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The rulers are just completely insulting him there. Look closely. It says, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. They're talking to him in the third person. They're not even showing enough respect to him to actually address him to his face. They're speaking about him in the third person as though he's not even there. That's something we would see on a playground with a bunch of you know, elementary school kids trying to mock each other. Yet this is happening to Jesus, the Messiah, Lastly, in verse 36, verses 36 and 37, we see this. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So now the soldiers are getting in on the mocking. This is Jesus. He is the king of kings. We are all to bow down at his feet, yet the soldiers are just mocking him. They're mocking him, saying, if you can save yourself, do it. They don't actually think he can save himself. They're mocking and insulting him. They're insulting his deity. They're insulting his kingship. And it's just completely humiliating Jesus. This is how Jesus' patience is being tested. Jesus is being mocked. He's being tortured. And his patience is being tested here. But keep in mind, God the Father's patience is also being tested. I call on all the parents here. Imagine if this was your child. Imagine if your child did nothing wrong and all this is happening to them. I ask all of us the same question. How would we respond? How would we respond if we were put through this? Would we just be patient? I think we would all agree we'd be primed to just blow up. If this was happening to us or to our child, we would just be ready to be impatient. Yet how do the father and the son respond? Well, let's take a look. First, we'll look at the son. So as we remember, Jesus went through those horrible, brutal circumstances up to the cross. And on the cross, he's just absolutely just completely put through it, mentally, physically, just completely primed for impatience. Yet how does Jesus respond? Does Jesus blow up with rage, hop off the cross, and just lay it on them? No, he doesn't do that. How does Jesus respond? Well, let's look at verse 34. Let's see what Jesus says. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Wow. When Jesus' patience is put to the test, he responds with mercy, with grace. Look at those words. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is mercy. That is grace. Ultimately, that is patience. Because Jesus sees the sinner behind the sin. 
he sees the person behind the problem and he doesn't blow up on them and annihilate them immediately. No, he goes through the forbearance and the long-suffering and chooses to endure those hard circumstances and to be patient with them. And what is accomplished through Jesus being patient on the cross? Redemption, forgiveness of sins. He finishes his work on the cross and brings forgiveness, new life, and hope to the world. So move on to the Father. How is the Father's patience being tested here? Well, as we talked about before, his own son is just being humiliated. He sent his son to save us, yet we turned around and humiliated him and mocked him and put him up on a cross, and God the Father is seeing all this happen to his own son. Yet how does God the Father respond? Does he just blow up with anger and just annihilate us immediately and just blow up with his rage and wrath? No. Does he respond with no anger and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm not doing this. Come back up to heaven. That's it. You know what? We're just going to leave them. We're going to abandon them. That's it. No, he doesn't do that either. How does God the Father respond? He endures the pain, endures the pain of his own son being crucified on the cross and he chooses to withhold his anger towards us. And it's through this patience, it's through God the Father being so patient with us at the cross that he brings us new life, that he transfers us from being children of darkness to children of light, that he transfers us from being slaves to unrighteousness and slaves to sin to being slaves to righteousness and holiness. Wow, that is what God accomplished through being patient with us on the cross. That is what patience looks like. That is the perfect, amazing, glorious, and beautiful example of patience that we see in God the Father and God the Son. And so at this point, I think we're all probably thinking the same thing. I can't do that. Are you kidding me? I can't do that. I'm not strong enough to be patient if I was put through that. How in the world do we do that? And so that leads us to our last question today, which is how do we get patience? If that's what patience looks like, how do I get that? How do I be more patient? Well, when we talk about what it means to be patient and how to do that, I want to give a word to two groups of people, to the church and the body of Christ, to also to anyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus. So first, I want to give a word to the church about how we be more patient. And so as we talk about how we are to be more patient, we're going to do three things. We're going to look back, we're going to look down, and then we're going to look up. We're going to look back, we're going to look down, and we're going to look up. And so first, we're going to look back. We have to look back and see the cross. We have to see the horror. We have to see what Jesus went through. We have to see the suffering that he went through and see all those wicked sinners that were just putting God's patience to the test and were just absolutely putting God to the test and seeing how patient that he really is. Yet we have to see the reality, the reality that we are all guilty, that in our own ways that we all once put God's patience to the test, that it was our sin that put Jesus there, and that we're all guilty of testing God's patience. But we don't stop there. We don't just see that. We also have to look back and see the Son and the Father, and we see how they responded we see how Jesus responded when we put his patience to the test. We have to look back and see how the Father responded when we put his patience to the test. And how did he respond? God responded with patience, with grace, 
with mercy, with steadfast love and faithfulness all the way to the end on the cross. That is how God responded when we put our patience to the test. And it was through that, it was through God's patience on the cross that he brought us redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So it's through God's patience at the cross that he brought us redemption. But after that, after we look back and we see the cross, we have to look down. We have to look down and see the sin that we still struggle with. That even as followers of Christ, we still struggle with sin. We still fall short. We still let God down. We still put God's patience to the test. But that we don't just see that. We see that every single day, God still shows us patience. That even in our sanctification, God is still patient with us. That he wasn't just patient with us at the cross and then not patient with us now. No, God is still patient with us. He is still faithful. He is still loving. And I can personally testify to this because for such a long time, I didn't understand this. I didn't understand this. I carried this heavy burden that every time I would fail or make a mistake or let God down, that he was just immediately angry at me and irritated and upset and just blowing up on me. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. But the problem was I was listening to lies. My own feelings were telling me who God was, and I was listening to it. I was listening to it. But the truth is our feelings do not tell us who God is. They don't. The media doesn't tell us who God is. No one and no thing tells us who God is except for God himself. He tells us who he is. And who does he say that he is? Let's remind ourselves of what Exodus 34, 6 says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So that is who our God is. That is who our God is. And so if there's any dear Christian here today who has that same burden on their heart, who is carrying that heavy weight of always feeling like you're letting God down and you're falling short and God is irritated and always angry with you, know that that is not true. That is a lie and that is not true because God is still patient with you. Every day, even as you're following Jesus, he is still patient with you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That applies to you as a Christian. Every day, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. God is faithful. God is patient. As Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful to the end. So lastly, after we look back, we look back and we see the amazing patience that we received at the cross, and we see the patience that we received in our redemption. After we look down and we see the patience that we receive each and every day from God, it's then that we lift our heads up and we look up. We look up but we don't look up with pride, we don't look up with judgment, and we don't look up with people who are just constantly due impatience. No, we look up with compassion, that we remember and we remind ourselves of the patience that we have received and always received from God. We look up with people and we don't show them blow anger, we don't show them no anger, but we see people who need patience just like us. How other people need to be shown patience because we need to be shown patience. Because God has always been so patient with us. Like God, we need to see the sinner behind the sin. 
We need to see the person behind the problem. We need to look to help them to be gracious, to be merciful, to be loving, and to be faithful. We also look up ready, ready to see this fruit produced through us. Because as we saw at at the cross in our sanctification, look what God has done through being patient with us. Look what God has done. God brought us eternal life. He is sanctifying us through being patient with us. So let's look up, ready to see what God is going to do when we are patient with others. What mighty works God can do if we are patient with other people. Let's look up, ready to see that. Lastly, we also look up with confidence. We look up with complete confidence. But we don't look up with confidence within ourselves, thinking that we got it all together. We just tie our shoelaces a little bit tighter. We're going to go and be patient. That's not where our confidence comes from. Our confidence comes from the Spirit. Because as children of God, we need to remind ourselves of what is living inside of us. And that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is living within us. And so that will empower us to be patient. As Romans 8:11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That is the power that is within us. That is the power that is within us. As I think about this power, I'm reminded of the movie Avengers Endgame. There's a scene towards the end of the movie where character Thor, who is the god of thunder, he's trying to display how strong and powerful he truly is. And he poses this question, what do you think is coursing through my veins right now? And then Thor goes on to say, lightning, lightning. And it's in that moment that every single person in the audience just gets the chills and they know how powerful Thor actually is and what he's capable of doing. And it's just in a powerful scene. The power that we have within us is even greater than that. The power that we have within us is far greater than lightning and is far more powerful than Thor. The power that is within us is the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is living within us. And so we look up with confidence, knowing that whenever our patience is put to the test, that the living God has given us His Spirit. And it empowers us to be patient with other people, to show the light of Christ to the world so that they may be led to Christ. Because God will be faithful to produce the fruit of patience within us. We know that because when God says something, it will come to pass. So that is how we are more patient as a church. So that leads me to my word towards anyone here who doesn't know Jesus about how to be more patient. So as I think about this, I'm just reminded of my time as an RA at Liberty. Uh, Each year we would have four mandatory hall meetings. Every single student had to come. They had no choice. Mandatory. We took attendance. Had to be there. I just remember I always wanted to end the hall meeting off the same because I knew that that was a moment where some people, that might might be the only moment they ever get to hear the gospel. That might be the only moment they ever get to hear the gospel. And so I want to say the same thing to everyone here, that you could have literally just not listened to a single word that I have just said. You could have tuned me out. You could have been on your phone. You could have just completely ignored me the entire time today. And sure, that would be a bummer and kind of, you know, sad. But what I'm about to tell you right now, I ask that every single person in this room gives me their ears. As Jesus used to say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because what I'm bringing to you today is how you can be more patient. What I'm bringing you today is the gospel. 
It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the reality that all of mankind has fallen short. All of mankind has put God's patience to the test. All of mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in their own way. And because of that sin, because of that failure, there is a punishment. And that punishment is eternal death and eternity in hell. That's the reality. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. And because God is holy, righteous, just, and perfect, he has to punish that sin. As we would expect a judge to punish a criminal, so too must God judge and punish sin. But the story doesn't end there because there is good news. As I've been saying, the gospel. There is the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. That God is also loving. God is also merciful. He's also slow to anger. He's also abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, so much so that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to come down to the earth as fully God, fully human, to live a perfect, sinless life, the life that we all should have lived, but the life that none of us could live. Jesus lived that perfect life, and he chose to humble himself to becoming a servant and to being tortured, whipped, lashed, brought into a cross, and to be crucified, and to be hung up there for the sins of the world, and he died there, all as a choice. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it, willingly, by his own will, as his choice, and he died for mankind's sin. And then he was buried, and then this is where I have the best news, the good news for you today, the hope for you who don't have that, the hope for you who keep struggling with patience, that Jesus rose from the tomb, that he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He showed his patience on the cross. He showed his patience by rising from the dead and being faithful all the way to the end. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was the Messiah, proving that he was the Son of God, bringing redemption to the world, bringing hope to the world, bringing forgiveness of sins to the world, so that whoever would hear this news so that whoever would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to save you, that Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world. He did not come to the world to condemn the world, but he came to save it. And it's through this gospel, it's through hearing this good news and believing and repenting and turning from anything other than Christ and coming to him for eternal life and believing on him alone that there is eternal life, there is hope, and today... Today, you can receive that Holy Spirit. You can join the family of God as a son or a daughter of God. It's through Jesus Christ and him. What he did on the cross, there is hope. As John 1, 12 to 13 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. So that's the good news today, that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So it's at this time, I would like to invite the worship team back up for one more song. And so as we close today, I want to give a word to anyone here today who is hearing that and is coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to say to you, please don't just walk away here and go home. Please grab one of us, grab me, grab one of our elders, someone at this church, please grab one of us and talk to us because God never intended for us to walk through the faith and to live this Christian life alone. He wants us to live as the body of Christ, to strengthen each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God. So would you all please pray with me before our last worship song.
Father, we just come to you in prayer now and we just thank you for your son. We thank you for your patience. We thank you that even though we don't deserve your patience, that you still show it to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you have so graciously given us. And Father, we praise you today. We pray that as we sing now and as we worship you today, that you may be honored and glorified, that you may draw all people to yourself. We praise you, God, and we thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.